and uh, it's uh, some of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't love a frog? Look how cute they are. Huh? Research shows that if you put a frog into a boiling pot of water, it'll jump out. Also shows that if you put a frog in a pot of room temperature or lukewarm water, it'll stay there, float around. And that if you gradually turn that water hotter and hotter, you can literally cook the frog to death and have frog legs for dinner. <laughs> I'm kidding. There are some true frog lovers in the house. I, I do love frogs. They taste like chicken. Um, but frogs today, and this story of, of a frog being in a boiling pot of water, is, is kind of the metaphor, the takeaway, if you will, for the person I'm going to talk about today from the story. We're going to talk about King Solomon, David's son by Bathsheba. In a sense, you could say that Solomon was a frog. This, this frog could jump over any lily pad. He had the blue blood of royalty. He was set. He was a frog any princess would kiss, and 700 of them actually do. But Solomon got himself into lukewarm water in this whole marriage thing. And by the end of his life, he's cooked. Solomon started out strong, but then he gets into this pot of mediocrity, if you will. And we're going to see that it ends poorly. Today we begin the story in 1 Kings chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there. As we get there, I want to do a little bit of review. If you haven't been with us from the beginning, the story starts out in a place where God calls Abraham to become the father of the nation of Israel. And the mission of Israel was to point other nations, all people, to God. Uh, by the way, church, that's still our mission. That hasn't changed. God wants all people to come back to him. Uh, God gave Israel a land. God allowed them to have kings. The first king was Saul. And we talked about a few weeks ago how, how Saul failed to represent God well. And then God chose King David uh, to represent him. And David represented God pretty well. Even though he sinned grievously, he, he repented. And he, he was able to capture the heart of a gracious God who is available to everyone. And here in 1 Kings chapter 1, David is old and dying. Sounds like a sad way to start off your sermon. Uh, but before he dies, he passes the leadership baton to Solomon. And that's where we're going to pick up in First Kings here in just a second. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that, again, we can, we can come and, and not just, just sing and, and, and leave money, but we can come and, and worship. That we can come and, and remember your son. That we can come and, and hear these examples of, of goodness. We can, we can learn from those who have gone before us. I pray, Lord, that as we, we talk about Solomon today, that we'll understand the parallels of his life and ours. That uh, as we leave here, we'll, we'll leave hoping to stay away from, from mediocrity and, and to not get caught up in the mundane, but that we'll continue to be bold for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we go through 1 Kings, we're going to be making a lot of references from like the first 11 or so chapters. So you may want to write some of these down, take lots of notes, but I'm going to give you a snapshot of Solomon's life today and how he went from being the king who had it all to the king whose heart was divided. You see, Solomon was not always conflicted. He started off strong. He started off his time as king with humility and wisdom. I think this was in part because as his father was dying, 
one of his brothers tried to become king behind everybody's back. And, and nothing really will bring you around to humility as something like that. And so we're going to start off in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And here's what the Bible says. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. If only it were that easy, I would have been king years ago. Let me just tell you that. Uh, so he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Solomon. Again, if it were that easy, I would have been king. Okay, maybe not on the handsome part. Okay. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok, the priest, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, and Ray, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fatted calves at the stone of Zoheleth near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials to Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaniah, or the special guard, or his brother Solomon. Adonijah, what he tried to do here, he tried to kind of slip in there and make himself king. He went through the motions, and because perception is reality, if David would have died before his actions were found out, it would have been really hard to get him off of that throne. But Nathan the prophet was still around. We remember him, uh, I spoke of him last week, how he brought things around to David. And, and he's around, and he goes and he informs David at Bathsheba, and, and they go and talk about what's happening. And David sets in place a true inauguration of Solomon as the rightful king. And, and, and so this whole mess gets cleaned up by King David, and as he charges Solomon to be the next king, he gives him this advice. And here's what I want you to really kind of hone in on today. First Kings chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong. Act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this, <clears throat> do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Do you see the consistency of our God? He says the same thing from everyone that he calls to follow him, from Abraham to us. The charge from the Lord has been consistent. Watch how you live and walk faithfully before the Lord with all your heart and soul. God told these men that, if, that they will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel if they do this. Coincidentally, he tells us that we will have a place in heaven if we do this. And how much better is that than an earthly throne? I, I want to parallel Solomon's life as king with, with that of, of us as Christians, if you'll allow me to do that today. You see, we, when we first get baptized, we come out of the water, we're all wet, and we're excited, we, we have this zeal. We want to change the world. We want to tell people about what Christ has done in our lives. We set out to learn as much as we can. We seek wisdom from the Scriptures. We, we read and study and pray, and we ask questions, and we find other mature Christians that we can study with and, and ask them to mentor us and to be accountable to us. How does that compare to Solomon's life as king? We're getting there. Turn, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. Because God gives Solomon the opportunity to ask for anything he wants. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. 
and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Listen, that's no hour at church, folks. That's some serious worship. Okay, he's offering a thousand sacrifices on the most high place, as close as he can get to God, and he is laying himself out there. Verse 5 says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God asked, God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Have you ever thought about that? God says to one person, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. I often wonder what my response would be. What would I answer? You know, more wishes. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing we do. Solomon could have asked for anything. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. <clears throat> you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child. And I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, here's, here's, that, here's that same statement again. If you walk in obedience to me, and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did. I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Solomon asks for wisdom. It's the Hebrew word hakmah. To rule as king and administer justice. And he pleases God by asking for wisdom. Just like a new Christian, Solomon says, Lord, I'm, I'm only a little child. There's some discrepancies in how old Solomon was when he became king. Some people say he was 12. Others say that he was around 20. Either way, 20 is the oldest that I've found where he becomes king. So he still says to God, I'm young. I don't want to mess this up. And he asks for to be able to administer justice. And he pleases God by asking for wisdom. Just like us. A new Christian, Solomon says, I'm only a little child, I need wisdom. God not only gives him wisdom and a discerning heart, he gives Solomon what he doesn't ask for. He gives Solomon success and wealth as long as he walks faithfully before God. God does the same thing for us. As you read his word, as you meditate on it, you will understand how to walk faithfully before God. You'll, you'll understand his wisdom. And wouldn't you know it, no sooner does Solomon ask for wisdom than it's put to the test. Again, the parallel. Remember when you were a baby Christian? You're studying the Word, you're asking questions, you're gaining knowledge and wisdom, and then BAM! There it is! Out of the blue, you're tested by something. And then you have, a, you have to decide. Am I going to continue to walk faithfully? Or am I going to step out and do this on my own? In this case, Solomon's wisdom is tested by two women who claim the same baby as their own. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16-28. through 28. Verse 16 says... Now, 
Two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone, and there was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I was sleeping, while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. Uh, When I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. Verse 23 says, the king said, this one says my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. The king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order to cut the living child in two, excuse me, to cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Not only was Solomon wise, he had a desire for his whole kingdom to have wisdom. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that Solomon begins to write wisdom so that everyone in his realm would be wise. He, he wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. He started out well, and he continues to, to reign, and he builds he build a temple for God. He does great things. He grows in popularity. Uh, all this happens in 1 Kings verses 6 through 10. You'll be reading about some of this this week in your story Bible. Uh, he builds this temple, and it's not just any temple. Solomon builds a beautiful temple and he dedicates it to God. And God both blesses Solomon and warns him at the same time. Now before we look at 1 Kings 9, verses 1 through 9, I need to make another parallel here for us. Christian, your body is the temple now. This building that we're in, this is not a temple. But your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit now. And, <clears throat> and I think we can learn from the blessing and the warning for Solomon that God gives him. In verse 9, he says, When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I've heard, your, I've heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, listen close, As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer, Because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. 
You may not know this, but our God stands by His Word. This, this first temple was later destroyed. And as far as our temple goes, the same can happen to us. When we climb into that cooking pot like the frog filled with, with the waters of mediocrity and the things in our world, when we choose to embrace sin instead of the wisdom from God's Word, when we choose to no longer walk faithfully before the Lord, we are putting ourselves at the boiling point. And we're putting ourselves at risk for destruction. But how does that happen for Solomon? How does one who, who purposefully seeks wisdom become just another frog in the heating pot of water called life? And I think for Solomon it began when, his, when he first got married to Pharaoh's daughter. See, he began to marry people, women from other countries. And now from a political point of view, from a kingly point of view for your, for your country and for, for what you're ruling over, from a leadership point of view, it seems like a good idea to marry into other countries. But the problem is God told the Israelites there were certain people they should never marry. And God said that because those people worshipped idols and false gods. You see, even in the Old Testament, God did not want His people unequally yoked. And I want to be really clear about this. Unequally yoked is a, is a spiritual term. It's, it's not a racial thing. All right? And God has told His followers from the beginning they should not intermarry with people who worship foreign gods and idols. And the great King Solomon, who started out strong, ends poorly. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we see that as he grew old, his 700 wives led his heart away to worship idols. And you know, our God, being true to his word, became angry with Solomon because Solomon's heart was divided. 1 Kings 11 verse 9 says, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude... And you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. You know, because Solomon's heart was divided his kingdom would also be divided. We're going to talk about that next week. The kingdom divided. It's on your bulletin already. Uh, and you're going to see how this all comes together or how it all falls apart. But what about you? Right here, right now, are you in that place where you're seeking the wisdom of the Lord and the wisdom of His Word? Or are you trying to be married to the world are you trying to be married to the world and God at the same time? Because that's what Solomon did. He, he was married to 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. That's a lot more women than any one man has business being with. And for a wise man, I can't for the life of me figure out why he went that route. But the reality is, every woman that he married was not an Israelite. They were from different countries and they brought, they brought with them their gods. And because they were wives that he married politically or otherwise, he allowed them to worship those gods. And as he got comfortable with that, he himself began worshiping those gods. We can't, we can't be married to the world and married to God at the same time. You see, the reality is this. We are as simple as we are complex. We are not created to multitask when it comes to our relationship with God. 
That's not what we're created for. Solomon, we, we cannot walk faithfully before him and be married to 700 other things at the same time. They're going to pull for our attention. With all of his wisdom, Solomon, he didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'm going to challenge God this morning. Understand that. This, this is this, what, I've, what I've given you a, a shot in the dark or kind of a shotgun blast of has happened over a course of many years. He didn't just wake up and say, I'm going to challenge God. I'm going to see if he really meant it. All that walk faithfully stuff. Really? It was a slow fade for Solomon. He started out so good. He had one request. I just want to be wise. I want to, I want to rule well. Look what the Bible says in 1 Kings 11, verse 1 through 6. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Verse 6, So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. No one wakes up and says, I just want to wreck my life and ruin all my relationships. It's not how it happens. These things happen slowly. If Solomon, who was probably the wisest man, failed, then what about us? What can we do to avoid the slow fade in our life that sin brings? I've made a list. If you're a Christian, you need to live your life to point others to Christ. Simply put, that's our mission. How we live our life matters, brothers and sisters. It will influence others, either by pointing them to Christ or by showing them how to justify their actions. Which one do you want to be known for? We have to stay out of lukewarm waters. So how do we do that? First off, know where you don't belong. We all know where we don't belong. Whether it's physical places, mental places, we know where we don't belong. And, and I'm going to be real frank with you for a moment. You already know what your weakness is. You don't have to come to me and go, well, Fat Rock, what's my weakness? You know what your weakness is. You know what's going to cause you to stumble. We all do. We don't like to admit it, but we know what our weakness is. We know what will cause us to stumble. We know what will cause that slow fade in our lives, that slow separation from God. And so what do we have to do to, to, to keep that from happening? We need to admit those things. We need to confess them to an accountability person in our life, and we need to get them out in the open. No more secret worship time with, with the gods of this world, Solomon. We need to get rid of that stuff. The only way to avoid the slow fade, little frog, is to not jump in the pot of water in the first place. And you guys know what I'm talking about. When we're tempted with these things, we need to pray that God will help us finish strong. We need to ask God for wisdom and discernment every day. We need to study His Word. Probably the hardest thing that we need to do is, is to invite accountability. I always say to people, nobody likes accountability. It's true. I don't like to be told that I'm messing up. But we need it. That's, that's where iron sharpens iron. 
That's what makes us better, stronger, a better reflection of Jesus Christ. We need accountability because it's not always about what we want. What we want is a nice palace and a throne and all these fancy things, but what we need is accountability so we can be a better reflection of Jesus Christ in our communities, in our jobs, in our homes. As for my non-Christian friends, I want to offer you some life-changing advice. Before the end of your life, I pray that you will put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By repenting of your sins, by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is the ultimate finisher. He declared from the cross, it is finished. And no matter where you are in life right now, He's taking care of that. As we come to our response time this morning, it's time to, to get out of the hot water before it starts to boil. It's time to begin to trust in Jesus Christ today. I don't know where you are. I don't know how close you are to the pot. Maybe you're in it. Maybe it's boiling. And you're like, what do I do? Find somebody. Don't leave here today without somebody that you can share with to help you move away from that. The elders are here. They'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. But as we come to our response time, we're going we're gonna to play a song. And it's, it's by Casting Crowns. It's called Slow Fade. And, and I want you to go ahead and stand right now, if you will. And if you know this song, sing along. If you've never heard it before, that's okay too. Listen to it. Watch this video and consider how you will respond to God's word today and move away from that. I love the verse in that song where it says, when you, be careful when you're standing, you may be sinking. Look around this week. See where you're standing. And if you're sinking, don't be like Solomon. Don't just continue to go deeper and deeper in whatever it is that's pulling you down, that's separating you from God. Reach out and ask somebody to help pull you out. That's how Christianity is supposed to be. It's been great to be with you all today, and I enjoy this opportunity we get each week to honor God through this time of worship, but now it's time to go. As you go this week, as you read through your story Bible, chapter 13, by the way, Think about King Solomon. Think about that slow fade in his life. He was king for a little over 40 years. It didn't happen overnight. As you think about it, wherever you go this week, pray first. Ask God for the strength and the wisdom you need so that you can avoid jumping into the pot and just becoming another entree for the devil. Look for someone to be accountable to and be accountable with. And remember, when we walk faithfully before our God, when we aren't just reading His story, but really applying it to our lives, we're living it instead of just reading it. Have a great week.